Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, good morning. Great to see you. Thanks for coming. Let me, let me add my welcome to Chris's. Um, my name's Andy. If we haven't met, I'd love to uh, meet you just afterwards. I'll be on the door. And um, We're going to be looking at this next um, passage of Acts together for the next few minutes, so do keep that open in front of you. Uh, I'm going to pray that God would help us as we look at it together, and so let's pray. Our Lord God, we know because the Bible teaches us that All scripture is breathed out by you and is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we pray this morning that you would please help me to preach the word faithfully as I ought and with clarity. And would you be at work in each of our hearts, teaching, rebuking, correcting and training us in righteousness so that we'd be thoroughly equipped for every good work in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look, I promised that I wasn't going to mention the football this morning, so um, let me just get that out of the way now, uh, and instead tell you a story about the Rugby World Cup. Um, So... um, Uh, A few years ago, uh, the last Rugby World Cup in our last church, uh, I organised an event at our church. Um, We had a big screen up in the hall. A group of about 100 men and women came. We had food together. And the plan was simple. Come along, watch the rugby. And then at the end, there was a short talk on sport and the Christian faith. And um, in hindsight, I probably should have seen this coming... But on the evening itself, Australia so comprehensively walloped the England rugby team that by the time the speaker stood up to give the talk, uh, everyone was thoroughly depressed and distracted, apart from the one Australian guy at the back who was delighted and distracted. And um, I was left wishing that instead of a talk on sport and the Christian faith, we'd gone for something more like Christianity and suffering. Look, if you've been with us as we've been going through the book of Acts together, you will know that the mission of the church is the worldwide proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. Every Christian taking every opportunity to tell every kind of person that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again so that you can be forgiven and restored into a relationship with God. These are our marching orders from the book of Acts and... I guess I think one of the big discouragements that we face in keeping going with talking about Jesus is that the best laid plans of mice and men so often go awry. 
For all our best intentions, our prayers and our plans, so often circumstances have a way of turning things aside from what we were expecting, what we had planned. You know, perhaps in hindsight, I should have seen that the Aussies were likely to thrash England on that Saturday evening and distract everyone. But don't we find time and again, you pray for the opportunity to speak to that colleague and then before it arises, they... um, then move to another department and it just seems to disappear. Or um, you plan to get involved in that short-term mission team, but then something changes with your family situation and suddenly you can't go. Maybe as a church, we start uh, an ambitious building project and yet find that after two and a half years, we're still struggling away trying to get permission to put spades in the ground. And it's frustrating, isn't it? Circumstances, the, the, the challenge of things not working out how we thought they would in the mission of the gospel. Well, look, how do we deal with that? What should we think about that? How should we think about it? Act 16 is going to help us with that, these verses we were looking at, uh, we had read a moment ago. Um, Luke wrote the book of Acts to give us confidence in the message of the gospel and confidence in the mission of the gospel, in the global expansion and advance of the message about Jesus. And this passage will help us in the face of circumstances and frustrations. So what happened? Uh, if we could just have the map up on the, uh, on the screen. We love a good map when we're looking at Acts. I'm sorry if this doesn't do it for you, but may just help us. Um, Paul, um, we left Paul at the beginning of Acts 16, verse 1, in um, Lystra and Iconium. That's the sort of yellow circled cities closest to me. And he's clearly planning to head into Asia, just west from there. Um, It's an area with a major city, Ephesus, and a number of other significant towns with many people living there. Colossae, um, the seven towns mentioned at the beginning of the book of Revelation, they're all there in Asia. Paul's planning to go. And then verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Why? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. See, hence the no entry sign. Um, We don't know quite how, but God the Holy Spirit prevented them from going west into Asia. And so instead, Paul headed north round the edge of Asia through sort of Phrygia and Galatia, that region just there. And, um, And then Paul and co planned to head north to Bithynia. And up there, that's sort of modern northern Turkey, um, where Istanbul is, if that places it for you on a modern map. And again, we read verse 7, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. See, again, we don't know how God stopped them, uh, whether it was something dramatic or whether it was just ordinary circumstances. But they're, they're making plans. You can imagine the frustration in the tent at night as Paul and his team are sat there saying, these are major population centers. Ephesus, um, uh, Constantinople, now Istanbul, just up there in Bithynia. There are thousands of people there who need to know about Jesus. And yet, we haven't even spoken a word to them. We've not made a dent. You can imagine the frustration as their plans seem to be going awry. And so verse 8, they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, little town on the coast just there to the west. And verse 9, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. 
And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding um, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, Just notice as an aside that Luke, the writer, has joined the team here, hasn't he? We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. But you see, the vision shows them um, that they're to take the gospel over the sea to to a new region of the Roman Empire, um, one that's known to us today as Europe. And we're going to see the gospel explode in Europe over the coming chapters of the book of Acts together. But if that's what happened, what are we to learn from the frustration and the journey of Paul here at the beginning of Acts 16? I've tried to sum it up in a sentence, so if you're a note taker, this is for you. Maybe you'd like to write this down. Um, I think the big lesson here is that Jesus Christ directs the growth of his gospel according to his plan to save those in need. Jesus Christ directs the growth of his gospel according to his plan to save those in need. And we're going to unpack that together. So the first lesson I think we learn is that Jesus Christ directs the growth of his gospel. See, we're here in Acts 16 at the beginning of Paul's second great missionary journey. The gospel is about to explode outwards into new regions, into Macedonia, into what we would call Europe. And Luke wants to underline for us to make us sure that this really is the plan and purpose of God. You remember at the beginning of Paul's first missionary journey in Acts 13, we're told very clearly by Luke that Paul and his companions are sent out by the Holy Spirit. See, Luke wants it to be clear that this isn't just Paul's good idea, but God directed this mission to new places. And again, at the beginning of the second journey, we're shown both where Paul didn't go and where he did is directed by God himself. Now look, Paul and his companions, they're not sitting on their hands waiting for a vision to tell them what to do. They've been given their marching orders as we have. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they're actively seeking to do that. Paul's got two plans in the passage, hasn't he? Go west and then go north. But they're also not left on their own to do the job. Jesus Christ is the one who has directed that this mission is to go out across the sea to Macedonia. If I can put it like this, Paul is driven by theological conviction. Jesus is Lord of all. The gospel is for everyone. But he is directed by the sovereign hand of Jesus Christ himself. A very interesting phrase in verse 7 Um, Just look down at that. Um, We're told that the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to enter Bithynia. Now, don't be confused by that. Um, I I was talking to someone about this earlier. We're not talking about another spirit, as if you have the Holy Spirit on the one hand and then the spirit of Jesus on the other hand. Uh, We're not talking about sort of two separate spirits here. It's two ways of talking about the Holy Spirit, The incredible thing the Bible reveals is that the God we worship is not one we could have invented for ourselves or imagined or reasoned our way to, but one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the fact that there is one God in three persons means you can never think of one of the persons apart from the others. 
because they are all persons of the one God. They share in the one divine nature. And so to talk of the spirit of Jesus is another way of talking about the Holy Spirit in verse 6. So why, um, why then does um, Luke use this unusual phrase, the spirit of Jesus? It is an unusual phrase. I could only um, count two other occasions in the New Testament when the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of Jesus. And um, if, you're, um, if you're a keen one and you'd like a bit of homework, why not this afternoon after about four o'clock, get your Bible open and find the two other references to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of Jesus But why does um, uh, Luke use this particular phrase here? Well, look, I think it's because Acts begins with two central theological convictions. The first one is this. Jesus Christ has been exalted to the throne of heaven. He rules the universe from heaven's throne. But number two, he has not left his church on its own. He sent his Holy Spirit to direct and empower witnesses. So the work of Jesus carries on. He rules from heaven and he empowers witnesses to declare his message to the ends of the earth. And here we're shown him doing it. We're reminded of those two truths, that Jesus rules and he is with his church. Even in the frustration of circumstances that seem to not work out in any way as planned. You know, why will the gospel explode in Europe over the next few chapters? Well, it's not because Paul is such a legend, it's because it's King Jesus' gospel. Why is Paul not able to take the gospel to certain places? Well, it's not because of fate or chance or karma or the triumph of evil or secularism or something like that. It's because Jesus is sovereign and directs the growth of his gospel. In all the circumstances of gospel mission, Jesus is with you to the end of the age, and he directs the growth of his gospel. It is his gospel that he is growing as witnesses speak the good news of Jesus. We can feel very alone, can't we, sometimes, when we try to speak of Jesus. You know, maybe you're the only Christian in your class or on your floor at work, and, um, and we can feel very alone. But Jesus is with you by his spirit. He has put you there, and he is directing the growth of his gospel. Have confidence. You are not alone. Uh, it can feel like uh, living in the West in the 21st century, like the gospel is losing sometimes, can't it? You read the media, it can feel like the gospel is being squeezed out more and more. But have confidence. Jesus will grow his gospel. The author G.K. Chesterton wrote, at least five times in history, the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. But in each of these five cases, it was the dog that died. Jesus Christ is directing the growth of his gospel. He is with us and he rules And so have confidence, even in the frustration of circumstances. But then second, I take it we're to learn from this, that Jesus Christ directs the growth of his gospel according to his own plan and not ours. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. I think this is the shock of the the, the passage, isn't it? Um, In verse 6, Paul and his companions travelled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit, having been kept 
kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And again, verse seven, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Now, I think this was a shock to me reading Acts 16 because I think my starting assumption is that God ought to advance his gospel at all times and in all places equally, and yet Acts 16 shows us that Jesus directs the growth of his gospel as he wishes, when he wants, and where he desires. He does it according to his own plan. And there is mystery here. I can't get into the counsel of Jesus in secret and tell you why one place and not another, but it's very clear in Acts 16 that there are some places where Jesus closes the door and others where he opens them. Now look, I don't think this means that we should not plan or strategize or act to further the cause of the gospel. You know, I've said already, Acts is full of Paul making plans and going to new places to tell them about Jesus. Woe betide us if we sit on our hands and wait for God to tell us to go when he has already told us to go to all nations and speak of Jesus. But when we make those plans... They are always in pencil and never in pen because they are always subject to the sovereign rule and direction of Jesus Christ our Lord. We make our plans. We say to ourselves, what will be best for the gospel? But we do it with the humility that recognizes that he might turn things in a new direction And look, I have to say, this has been my experience again and again in life. Um, I think of a church plant that we were a part of in London. Um, It was a little church that met in a pub before it opened on a Sunday morning. So it felt pretty different in some ways to Christchurch Fullwood. Same priorities, pretty different context. We were in the middle of a neighborhood. We met in their local pub on a Sunday morning. And it really felt like the sort of, you know, the unique selling point of the church. Come and hear about Jesus in the church that's in a pub. Stick around for lunch afterwards. Now, after a few years, the owners of the pub, they'd been very kind to us, and and quite reasonably, they said, we'd like to start opening a bit earlier. Could you find another venue? Now, weeks of um, difficult searching ensued as all different members of the church were looking for good places in that community, in that area, where we could meet. You know, um, coffee shops and, uh, and bars. And, um, you know, I think there was talk of a florist at one point, but that just definitely wasn't... Um, all sorts of places that we were looking at and thinking, would this work? It would keep us in the community. In the end, a few months later, I remember very vividly the vicar standing up before the church and saying... We found a venue, and it's in, quite a, it's in quite an ornate church building in another part of town. I remember feeling quite mixed about that. You know, in some ways, my heart sank because I thought, well, it's not even in the same place. We certainly don't get to be church in the pub anymore. And, um, and here's the thing. We make our plans. We strategize. We ask, what can I do to further the cause of Jesus But it's Jesus who directs the growth of the gospel ultimately. And so we need to be ready to use our pencil with those plans and not our pen. We need to be ready for Jesus to tear up the plan and say, no, I'm pointing you in a whole new direction. Wonderfully, that church is doing great things for the gospel now in a different part of town. And people are hearing about Jesus and the place is growing. 
It's something that's happened again and again in church history. Let me mention, for those who know them, some um, well-known and famous um, missionaries. Um, William Carey, the great missionary to India, originally planned to go to Polynesia. Adoniram Judson, Judson was meant to be a missionary to India, but was driven out and ended up going to Burma. Uh, David Livingstone tried to go to China, and God sent him to Africa instead. And again and again, as you read the history of the church, you see people taking risks, making bold plans to spread the gospel of Jesus, and then Jesus just redirecting them according to his plan. Brothers and sisters, this should humble us because it should tell us that our best intentions, our plans and strategies are never good enough on their own. If the gospel is thriving where I work or where I live, if people are open to talk about Jesus, if we feel that things are going well for us as a church here, it is only by his grace and kindness as he directs the growth of his gospel. It's right to plan, but do we pray as much as we plan? But if it should humble us, Brothers and sisters, I think that these verses should make us humbly confident that we can pray and plan and take big risks for the gospel because we know that Jesus is at work in this mission. Ultimately, the mission of the gospel can never lose because Jesus will direct the growth of his gospel according to his plan in the times and places that he chooses. And so we can be bold and take risks and trust him. Jesus directs the growth of his gospel according to his own plan. But then finally, the third lesson, I think, is that Jesus directs the growth of his gospel to save those in need. Come with me to the vision in verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now look, I don't think that we're to read this and to think that God will always guide his church through visions like this one. Now actually, if you read the book of Acts, visions like this are quite rare in the book and they tend to appear when the gospel is about to break new ground and head into new territories. Look, God is God. He can guide his church however he chooses. He's God. But the point I'm making is that he doesn't promise to do it like this regularly and often. We shouldn't read this and think this is the model for all times and all places. He can, but he hasn't promised he always will. I also don't think that we should read of this vision and think that if someone claims to have had a vision that we must listen to what they're saying. It's pretty much the ultimate argument stopper, isn't it? If you're debating what you should do. Actually, God told me we should do that. Kind of hard to disagree with that. But just look again at verse 10. At the end of the verse, they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, Paul saw the vision And they came to a conclusion. How did they do that? Well, this verse at least implies that they thought about the content of the vision and they saw that it was in line with Jesus' big purpose, the marching orders they'd been given to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
Hey, look, if someone feels that the Lord is guiding us through whatever means to a particular course of action, we shouldn't ignore that out of hand, but we must weigh it against what God has said. God will never lead us as a church or as an individual to do the opposite of what he has told us in the Bible. The Bible will help us to know if something is good or evil, if it's wise or foolish. And so we take um, what we um, think to be right, we take what we've seen, and we weigh it against what we have heard from God in the Bible. And yet, here's the good question that I was asked this week. Why this vision? Now, Jesus is on heaven's throne. Why does Paul see this vision and not Jesus on the throne saying, all right, son, you've been given your orders, get over to Macedonia? Why a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come and help us? Well, I think the vision reminds us of the great need of the gospel of the people of Macedonia, doesn't it? Paul is being shown that even though you don't get to go to the major cultural centers of Ephesus or Constantinople full of people who need the gospel, there is great gospel need just over the sea in Macedonia too. A man of Macedonia saying, please come and help us. And I wonder if we think about people in these terms that those without Christ have no God and no hope, that they stand under the right judgment of God and their greatest, most urgent need is to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Come and help us. You know, I'd like to think that if my neighbour came banging on my door tonight and said, my house is on fire, I need your help, come and help me, that it would be enough to get me up off the sofa and doing everything I could to help him. And here this vision is a reminder to Paul and to us that the greatest and most urgent need of my neighbour and my, my um, friend, my colleague and my family member is the help of the message of Jesus Christ. You know, as Christians, we want to meet every need, don't we? But we know that the greatest need people have is to hear of Jesus. Because here's the thing, my, um, my neighbor is very unlikely to bang on my door and to say, please help me. You know, it was, <laughs> it was charming, wasn't it, to hear Martin come to the front and say, I've got a real problem, I'm under the judgment of God. But I guess it's pretty unlikely that one of my friends or neighbours will bang on the door and say exactly that. What must I do to be saved? And this vision stands as a reminder that Jesus will grow his gospel precisely because there is a world in need of that gospel, in desperate and great need. One writer talks about going into his church midweek and finding a group of um, Korean missionaries um, weeping and praying together and being the sort of cynical Brit. He asked the question that I would ask, you know, you know what, what's going on here? Why is everyone so moved? And one of the missionaries said, well, we're praying for the gospel needs of the United Kingdom. And I wonder if we see people in those terms or have we lost sight of that? Do we pray? Do we weep? Will we go? 
Look, circumstances might frustrate us as we seek to um, speak of Jesus and be involved in the mission of the gospel. Um, Jesus might take us and point us in a totally different direction than we were expecting. And yet Luke says, keep going. Keep going. King Jesus is directing the growth of his gospel. And you know that the greatest need of every person that you meet is to hear of Jesus Christ. Keep going. He will grow and advance his gospel according to his plan and purpose. Keep going. Amen. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray that we would be those who humbly have confidence in Jesus Christ as we seek to go about the mission of the gospel in his name and for his glory. Amen.